artificial intelligence, automation and bridging the digital divide. The long-delayed auction of prime frequency spectrum is opening a new world of possibilities for South Africa. But the distant promise of cheaper bandwidth is probably cold comfort for those of us, particularly those in debt, who are bracing for a winter of rising interest rates. And finally, is South Africa really edging closer to the 1.2 trillion rand investment goal it set four years ago? This is No Ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A very warm welcome. I'm Jeremy Max. We're going to start No Ordinary Wednesday with the much-awaited auction of prime bandwidth frequency spectrum. It's raised 14.4 billion rand and has injected oxygen into our gasping communications network. We welcome now Louise Pillay, equity analyst at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Louise, a very warm welcome to you. What exactly is it that Acasa has put up for sale and who's paid such a handsome amount for it? So if, if you look at what ICASA has auctioned off, it's basically auctioned off spectrum to facilitate new mobile technology plans, in particular 4G and 5G rollouts. All the mobile operators have actually taken part. Vodacom has paid 5.4 billion. MTN has paid about 5.2 billion. Telcom has paid 2.1 billion. Rain has paid 1.4 billion. Celsi has paid 288 million. And Liquid has paid 111 million. I think just generally, these numbers are in line with some of the global precedents that we've seen around spectrum auctioning processes around the globe. So these are all very big numbers that you've outlined, but I wonder to myself why it matters. How is it going to affect our daily lives and what new commercial opportunities are going to open up as a result of the sale? Yeah, I guess this goes beyond the general sentiment that the spectrum will just help improve the affordability of data services. It is certainly more to that. This will help the mobile operators increase network capacity and also drive new technologies such as 5G, especially in rural areas. I think rural areas and you know rural mobile coverage can now be prioritized and fast-tracked on much better commercial terms for the operators. This provides an opportunity to digitalize and improve operations operational efficiencies for other business sectors, especially such as mining, logistics, energy and agriculture. I think you've partly answered the next question, but the wide scale of deployment of 5G is important for what reasons? You've referenced rural areas. What else? Yes, so 5G technology, the Internet of Things, and I think artificial intelligence are transforming global industries. The deployment of 5G supports mission-critical applications, especially around power and the transport industry. 5G offers lower latency and faster download and upload speeds. You know, living in South Africa, we've experienced issues around our power grid and traffic congestion at our port terminals. Now, if I just hone in on the traffic congestion at our port terminals, this can be easily is by both in increased investment in digitalization efforts and improvement in connectivity solutions. Businesses will become more productive and efficient. But again, this needs to be supported by an investment by government in its infrastructure-led plan. All of this, of course, is very welcome, but why has it taken so long? So the high demand spectrum bands, namely the 700 and 800 megahertz spectrum, could only be allocated after it has been released by the Digital Migration Program. There has been more than a decade delay of missed deadlines around this program. 
Currently, government has actually set a very ambitious target of the 31st of March for this process to be completed. So in terms of that, the second point would be around the pedestrian spectrum policy direction from government is also as a result of about 12 different ministers in the last 10 years, notably all bringing different policies to the table. The current minister, though, Ms. Kumbuzo and Shaveni, has been in charge since the 5th of August last year. And I think what's very positive is we believe there's an increased willingness from the current minister to support the digital transformation of the economy. There's also a much better alignment with the regulator ICASA and the ministry relative to the last 10 years covering the sector. This is evidenced by the minister setting key targets within two months in charge and increasing the frequency of stakeholder engagements, especially with the private sector initiatives. So we've got 14.4 billion rand raised from this auction. Where is it going? So it will generally go to the national fiscus and be allocated in line with the national treasury budgeting programs. That's the main answer to your question. And does it necessarily mean big growth in the telecom sector? For instance, could this have an impact on our unemployment problem? Yeah, so maybe I'll answer that in two points. I would say just generally global analysis suggests that, you know, countries with better mobile connectivity have stronger economic growth and productivity. Mobile technology is key to drive GDP growth. According to the GSMA, for every 10% increase in mobile penetration, this increases GDP by 0.5%. Further, as mobile technology improved, say from 2G to 3G and then to 4G and 5G, we also see an uplift in economic growth. I think on the unemployment question, this will facilitate a new dawn to 5G technologies and new value chains will certainly add to new jobs, but will also bring a new set of job skills. I think what is key is education. We still need to ensure a strong investment into education that is supportive for the evolution of new skills required. What is now more encouraging is that mobile operators can now make the free access to education websites more permanent with the allocation of more spectrum. And I think that's key. As long as, you know, we have this education and the access to education, zero rated, you know, that will promote facilitation of the new skills. And I'm going to leave it there. Louise Pillay, thank you very much for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thanks. In just a moment, we'll discuss the bumpy road ahead for South Africans thanks to increasing interest rates and inflationary pressures. But first, a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Interest rates are up by 25 basis points. The Monetary Policy Committee meeting taking place amid fluctuations in the oil price and uncertainty about global growth and inflation, much of it obviously driven by the war in Ukraine. I'm going to talk now to Neo Ralifeta, Treasury Structuring Consultant at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Now, a very warm welcome. As we know, the MPC raised the repo rate by 25 basis points. Was this the expected outcome? 25 basis points was expected. However, what did raise eyebrows was the fact that two of the MPC members were in favor of a 50 basis point increase 
in interest rates. That in itself tells us a story about the current uncertain economic environment that the Reserve Bank is looking to navigate the South African economy through. We know that we were starting to see the back end of the pandemic, you know, the pandemic that at the onset had massive, massive economic costs to the country. And over time, what's happened is that, you know, the impact on the economy of the pandemic was starting to dissipate and in fact was, had dissipated. And suddenly we find ourselves with conflict that had been brewing over a lot of years up between Russia and Ukraine, hitting a tipping point. And we know that the impact on, on commodity prices and particularly oil and energy has spiked to very high levels, you know, so. So all of that has fed into the South African economy. There's a lot of increased inflationary pressure. And it just tells you that, you know, the Reserve Bank is still very, very worried about where inflation might go, given what's happening across the world. And they are still trying to protect the consumer and the South African economy through maintaining inflation through increased interest rates. Well, let's talk a little bit further about that. You raise inflation worries. In fact, uh, the inflation forecast for 2022 raised to 5.8%. So let's pull this down in terms of the consumer. It looks like a, a tough road ahead for South Africans, particularly those who are already paying more to service their debts. This is a real worry, isn't it? It is a real worry, and it looks like the road ahead is definitely not going to be an easy one for us consumers. However, one wonders whether the response by global central banks to the pandemic hasn't kicked the can down the road. It seems as though the real economic impacts of the pandemic have been deferred, and it appears as though inflation has made its head as one of those concerns that are starting to come through as we come out of this pandemic. On the debt side, we know that those who have high levels of debt are going to be hit the most, but we need to also consider the fact that increasing interest rates harms those who have debt, but increasing inflation harms the entire economy, particularly those who are poor and those who've got fixed level of income. You know, So whilst increasing interest rates might have an impact on a portion of the economy, the Reserve Bank is looking to contain inflation so that they protect the entire economy. So it really is a tough tightrope that the Reserve Bank is walking right now. You talk about the uncertain environment. Look into your crystal ball then. What's the general thinking? Can we expect more hikes in coming months? If we take a step back to January 2020 or us coming going into January 2020, the pandemic had already broken out in the East. It hadn't really hit our shores yet. You know, so we went into the environment with with GDP that was lagging behind. And we went into there with a prime rate of about 10 percent. What happened then is that as the lockdown restrictions were imposed by the government on the monetary side, the Reserve Bank decreased interest rates by a total of 3%. You know, so we need to consider the fact that that response by the Reserve Bank was actually in response of the pandemic. And as we start coming through the pandemic and finding our way out of it, what happens is that interest rates are expected to start normalizing to those levels that we saw in early 2020. You know, so looking at the rest of this year, current forecasts are saying that interest rates should increase by about 75 basis points for the remainder of the year. But that is going to be highly driven by the levels of inflation. And we know that the Reserve Bank targets inflation to be between the band of 3 and 6%. So for as long as inflation remains relatively contained and inflation expectations by consumers remain anchored, we might find that the Reserve Bank needs to respond with much less interest rate increases than what is currently forecasted. But just to answer that question, Jeremy, it is highly dependent on what happens to that inflation number and, of course, how long it takes for that conflict in Ukraine and Russia to be resolved. We'll always take a bit of good news when we can, and this is a final question to you then. The Saab's real GDP growth forecast for the year has been revised upwards to 2%. Not a lot, but it's well
welcome news nonetheless. What's driving the growth? That is very, very encouraging news, especially considering the fact that GDP growth would lead to more people being employed. And the biggest drivers of growth that we're seeing right now are, of course, the fact that lockdown restrictions have been eased. In fact, we're starting to talk about the end of the state of disaster, which means that more economic participants are able to go out there and participate and interact and increase this GDP growth. You know, what we're seeing on the one side, on the expenditure side, is consumer spending and exports have been on the rise, particularly with the surge of commodity prices. Our mining sector has done extremely well. And what we're seeing on the production side is that manufacturing and retail sales have increased. Local tourism also saw an increase given the fact that people were not necessarily able to travel abroad. So we saw South Africans spending a lot of time touring their country, you know, and that money has been kept within the local economy. And people have used their discretionary income to, you know, to go to car washes, to to go to hairdressers and essentially just use services that were not able to employ during the hard lockdown. So it seems as though things are on a positive trajectory. The Reserve Bank is doing its best not to shock the GDP too much, economic growth too much. And we just also hope that on the fiscal side, the reforms that are very necessary for the South African economy come through so that when the tide comes in, it picks as many people up as possible. And I appreciate the insight and the analysis. Uh, Nayo Ralifeta. Treasury Structuring Consultant at Investec Corporate and Institutional Banking. Thank you for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. South Africa's fourth investment conference is done and dusted. Four years ago, you'll remember, the South African government set a target of 1.2 trillion rand. By 2020, private sector investors had pledged 774 billion. By the time of last week's conference, that number had increased to 1.4 trillion. Big numbers. Let me welcome now Investec Chief Economist Annabel Bishop, who's going to take us through those figures and, more importantly, how and if this is going to translate into real economic growth. Annabelle, a very warm welcome to you. Let me start with this. President Ramaphosa has, perhaps understandably, trumpeted this conference and the collective sum of investments pledged as an unqualified success. But to what extent are we witnessing, I wonder, a true groundswell of fixed investment in South Africa? And if so, why isn't this translating into jobs and economic growth? Hi, Jeremy. Yes, good to be with you. You know, what we've seen is one more leg of the five-year tranche of SAC, as they call it, the South African Investment Conference, which is essentially an effort by government to stimulate or to really showcase as well private sector fixed investment in South Africa. And it's a 1.2 trillion drive with the latest data coming out from last week. We're now at 1.1 trillion. So essentially, it is very much showing what fixed investment or infrastructure projects are are going to go ahead, which does create some positive sentiment and, of course, is positive for business confidence in South Africa. It shows government is on board with the private sector in terms of seeing it as a drive of economic growth. But I think, you know, the point really is that fixed investment projects take a number of years to complete. So in themselves, they're not quick or rapid employment creators. Of course, there are important growth drivers. You know, productive capacity in South Africa is very key. It helps the more productive capacity you've got, the greater your ability to grow. And of course, that speaks to us in terms of supply constraints, electricity. But as the president says, you know, this infrastructure conference and in fact, the other ones as well, it does move the needle on unemployment, but it doesn't wipe out the entire unemployment. It adds to the people who are employed. I think, Jeremy, the point really is that there are many other factors as well needed for strong economic growth, higher levels of job creation. And of course, those are 
include an improved regulatory environment, one that is business friendly, less red tape, less onerous to do business, along with improvement in electricity, as we just mentioned just now for the beleaguered electricity sector, even improvement in water capacity as well, improvements at SOEs. I mean, the list goes on. We've talked to it many times before. So this is a fairly bullish assessment to start off with, Annabelle, but let me pick you up on that phrase, under progress. Of the 770 billion rand pledged in the past, I'm wondering how much of this is translated into real fixed investment projects that have actually broken ground. Do we have examples? We have figures. They've said of the 152 pledges made during the first three investment conferences, bear in mind this is the fourth one now, we took a break with COVID, 45 are reported completed or will be completed soon and 57 under construction. And do we know what the split is between foreign and local capital? I haven't seen the split, but you know it's also important to note as well that while it is private sector fixed investment, as you quite correctly said, foreign and local, it is also as well development finance from the development bank in South Africa, for example, and other development finance institutions. I think the key point is if you look at the large automotive production sector, you know, Mercedes-Benz production, South Africa, for example, we see that as domestic fixed investment. But of course, you know, there are companies operating in South Africa as well. They've got offices here, which also have offices overseas. So it does become a little bit blurred. But nevertheless, we are certainly seeing a lot of pickup. You know, Jeremy, uh, this quarter, I've just had a look at some figures. It shows that we are now seeing net inflows from foreigners into our equity market as well. And of course, you know, that's very key because that shows further foreign interest in South Africa, you know, sticking with the theme of foreign as you brought up. And in fact, quite key for us, we've actually seen inflow of 28.7 billion. And that's quite important because we saw outflows in the fourth quarter of last year. And in fact, over the whole of last year, the fourth quarter of last year, 66 billion, 43 billion in the third quarter. And in fact, foreigners have been selling off equities in South Africa ever since 2015 on a net annual basis. So so positive data. In fact, even this quarter, we've seen inflows into the bond market. So that has been supporting the RAND. It looks like there is some change in investor sentiment towards South Africa. Often that can lead fixed investment. Here, of course, we're talking about portfolio flows in financial markets. Fixed investment, obviously, is a longer term deployment of capital. We have seen some improved sentiment towards South Africa, given the geopolitical tensions globally and given the improved outlook for ourselves as a commodity exporter. I don't want to be a perpetual naysayer, but you referenced the beleaguered electricity sector. All of this happening, of course, during the ongoing global pandemic. I don't need to reference the war in Ukraine. So, Annabelle, what were some of the chief concerns then that were raised by investors at last week's conference? No, Jeremy, the sentiment actually was extremely positive. And in fact, some of the key speakers actually talked quite strongly against a negative narrative in South Africa, coming down quite harshly on a continued negative narrative on South Africa and talking very optimistically, very positively. And these obviously are CEOs of large corporates operating in South Africa, about strong opportunities that our country has to offer. So I think that's quite key. I don't think they necessarily glossed over the problems that we face. And of course, obviously, very high unemployment is absolutely key in South Africa, as has been, you know, weak economic growth performance over the past decade. We know why. We've had insufficient capacity constraint, whether it's in the electricity sector or water sector, or of course as well in the government itself, government skills, or just over the entire environment. So we've had this very positive narrative come through on South Africa, the investment conference. I think that's exactly what you want to hear from big business. You've all talked the problems in South Africa to death in terms of our constraints. And of course, with these strong work 
streams that government is now looking to embark on to obviously improve many of these areas. It's really, I think, turning into a bit of a positive narrative. But if we have a look at investment plans themselves, South Africa's now got an overarching national investment plan up to 2050 called the NIP 2050. And of course, that's been launched this year. It dovetails with the National Development Plan, of course, the SIC, this, uh, the, the private sector largely infrastructure investment. And it's, it's, it's really key because I think, you know, from that area, it's part of government's economic stimulus program. Jeremy, in South Africa, government sees infrastructure as one of the key areas to, to stimulate the economy. And that's, of course, partly to recover from the impact of COVID-19 that you mentioned earlier. The NIP 2050 National Investment Plan has recently been gazetted, and it really looks at an overarching improvement in core infrastructure networks, such as water, energy, freight transport, digital communications infrastructure. There certainly seems to be some good work planned for South Africa, but we obviously have already seen some of this come to fruition, seen the recent approval of Spectrum, and there does seem to be a lot of momentum coming through from the presidential committees at the top to drive this forward, but you and I both know there's a lot of capacity constraints lower down in the hierarchies of government. I think this is still a key concern. So let's uh, nip into the final question then, Annabel, if we can. Uh, you speak about the positive narrative at the conference. I'm wondering then, was there any discernible reaction in the capital and currency markets following the outcome of this event? Well, Jamie, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to say because, in fact, the exact same day was the Monetary Policy Committee meeting. And we did see the RAND strengthen substantially. In fact, the RAND went below 1450 on the Friday. And that was obviously due to um, a number of reasons which drove currency strength, one of which, of course, is an ongoing commodity boom, which is going to result in twin surpluses for South Africa. That's both government balance or the government budget um, surplus and, of course, the uh, trade surplus. But also, of course, as well, the strong capital inflows I've been talking about. And of course, as well, the interest rate environment. South Africa hiked its interest rates. We we two interest rates ahead of the United States. So we've widened our differential between the interest rates in the United States and South Africa, the central bank or reserve bank interest rates in the two jurisdictions. And of course, by widening this differential, um, starting our hiking cycle in November last year, that's given great impetus to the rand, you know, bringing it from above 16 rand to the dollar to really about 15 rand to the dollar before this March interest rate hike. And then of course, now, you know, to the 1450 mark. The United States also hiking interest rates as well, creating positivity. But I don't think that should undercut the story we were talking about earlier about increasing positive investor sentiment in South Africa, whether it's in portfolio flows, whether it's actually in visits to South Africa, looking at it as an investment destination from a fixed investment perspective. So I think just to put sake in context, it's just showcasing the actual committed or pledged amounts that we can put forward now for fixed investment in South Africa. So amounts which are planned, they're budgeted for, they're about to start in the near future or the foreseeable future. It doesn't include investors who are coming to look at South Africa, who are now increasingly interested, perhaps because of our geographical location further away from the conflict or because we are such a strong key commodity exporter. Perhaps they like our budget narrative, the improvement of government finances, better governance under Sil Ramaphosa, many different factors which are obviously driving the strength that investors potentially see in South Africa. So I think from that perspective, you know, we do see an increasingly positive narrative on South Africa, both from a foreign and domestic perspective. 
And Jeremy, interestingly enough, I just had a look at the recent data produced from the Bureau of Economic Research in South Africa. It shows that volumes have increased quite significantly in the services sector in South Africa, which is going to give us a positive GDP outcome from a growth perspective in the first quarter of this year. You know, seeing GDP growth instead of contraction. And that dovetails with the improved commodity prices, which are likely to see some lift in the industrial production sector. South Africa's services sector, big driver of the economy as well. So certainly an improved growth outlook as well. I don't think the, these commodity price pressures and constraints in the global supply system will go away easily this year. We should see some of the story sustained into the second half of 2022 as well, and certainly the second quarter. And nice to end this podcast on the so-called positive narrative. Regular contributor to this podcast, Investec Chief Economist Annabel Bishop. Thank you for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks very much. Please join us again on the 13th of April as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.